Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's my Sengun, it's Arturo Zurita. What's up, Zach? We got the summer cut right here. Looking back at everything that has come out, it's really crazy because it's like we can't even cover the theatrical stuff because whatever was theatrical in June... The DVD would come out like in December. Some stuff is coming out <laughs> in two weeks. Like before you could right. even buy your ticket in cinemas, the DVD's out. Or not the DVD, the, the digital's out. So Yeah, you uh, see an ad for a movie and you look up the showtimes and you find out that it's already on VOD, even though maybe the VOD is nineteen ninety nine. But, you know, whatever goes. It's playing at your living room. Yeah, it, it, yeah all these one-night events <laughs> are really actually available the entire time. So, yeah, really uh, one night only to where you can feel like you're getting ripped off by A24. Actually, that's kind of like a, a constant event if you're frequenting their merch. Uh, shop <laughs> the shop <laughs> uh anyway yeah we're, we're doing a summer movie catch-up we we haven't had the chance to talk about some of the movies that came out over the last few summer months uh some better some worse some ones that we just wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about so we're, we're gonna go yay or nay on some of these movies and uh get into some a little bit more deep than others but art why don't you start us off i don't know if you want to take us all the way back to june uh what are some of the movies that we haven't had a chance to discuss that uh you're still thinking about uh, I mean, uh, from the stuff that came out theatrically, we did a whole thing of In the Heights, which I believe you saw on Broadway. I did. I saw the, uh, the original cast on Broadway twice. But Oh, my gosh. All Light Everywhere was also a movie we've been hyping up. I want to make sure I just give yeah. a mention there because that is out as well as I Carry You With Me, both some really great Sundance picks. I don't remember if you and I talked about the Sparks Brothers at Sundance. Were you able to catch it at Sundance? Did we have a whole discussion about that? I didn't catch that? it did at Sundance. It? I caught up with it when we did South by Southwest and yeah, I mean, I, I dug that documentary a lot. Uh, you know, Sparks is not a band that I had a familiarity with prior to watching that documentary, but I, I think what Edgar Wright is doing is a great example of like, when you love a thing, you put all of your energy towards, uh, getting it right in one thing you know it's, it's not a short documentary it's not a, a comprehensive look it is it is a detailed look that goes through their whole career Everything. um yeah i dug mm-hmm. it i don't know if you got the chance to rewatch zola i haven't rewatched it uh what would you think did they keep the cut the same way that uh they kept the cut the same I, i'm so surprised but i wish that. they, w- they would have altered that ending at some point i think that's still the thing that that misses it from from it having like a really big splash yeah. um and, and now that it was more public i saw a lot of other people were discussing the same thing they're like it feels like there's just one more aspect of the ending that could have been you know extended a little yeah. bit more but uh nonetheless it's really hard to gauge it because like you know if it's a24 again right and let's say they were they were going for another florida type movie like they were able to with with uh spring breakers you have a completely different condition and we're not that many people are going to go to the theater to experience it communally and i think zola is a movie that you need to experience communally um i know a lot more people were able to catch it on vod digital but that's one of the movies that i think definitely suffered for not being able to have that experience with a bunch of people just going what the hell am i watching yeah yeah Um, that's something that i'm glad we were able to get in is that like you to get that live reaction to get that audience sort of just going along on the journey with you is so important to that movie. But I do agree with you that it's sort of the ending kind of peters out. It feels like that movie runs out a little bit of energy. And that was sort of my conflicting feeling coming out of Sundance. When I saw that movie, I, I, I I had a feeling like it wouldn't connect with people the way that maybe some people uh, were really hoping. Cause it is a little bit, yeah. it, it's not 
rewarding in that way. It's not it's not trying to give you a satisfying conclusion at the end. Um, the Which more purpose, but- the more that I sit with it, the more that I I love that movie for its moments and not necessarily for its like front to end experience. If that makes sense, uh, it's a movie That's that fair. really comes alive in a few scenes uh, that really have stuck with me ever since we saw it. Conjuring 3. I know we're talking about making a bracket on this uh, one director who started this entire thing, but they decided to give it to the director of La Llorona. This one was playing at HBO. Not, 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 the, not the, the good La, La Llorona, by the way. The, the no, other La no, Llorona. Not the, not, I think actually... No, not the one who should have been nominated for an Oscar. The, uh, this is the other one. Uh, I didn't hate the movie. I thought, you know, it, it still so had a lot of the there. elements that I enjoyed. <laughs> Stop, man. Why? I'm back in my place Why? now. I can actually play with all my props again. That shouldn't even be a prop. That should be in the storage. That, that shouldn't even be in the storage. That should be in whatever your, y'all's garbage company is over there. That should be picked up on a Wednesday. Ugh. It's the director of that movie. And look, I think it's a, it's a big step up from uh, what he did in La Llorona. Uh, it is a very interesting story because, again, like all of them, they're supposed to be based off true stories. But at the same time, they take their liberties. I expect that. But sometimes you take a liberty that's a little bit crazy to the extent that you're kind of honoring a murderer, yeah. right? Depending on whether he was uh, possessed by the devil or it was just drugs. Uh, they had the real man on set. They brought him in. They were, you know, this was the last movie that I think uh, Lorraine passed right before you know right as they were filming this movie i believe mm. um so they're continuing their legacy now that both of them are gone and they're really clearly trying to extend them as like this power couple that it's going to go through all these crazy adventures they kind of to a degree cast younger people in the flashbacks so the conjuring universe yeah. is already something that's expanded with the nun it's already expanded with uh, what they're going to be doing with the crooked man it's it, just gonna be this huge conglomerate i mean look everything james wan touches right he had the saw series going all the way and now it's spiral now it's jigsaw so this man knows how to create these entire universes insidious being uh, another one but i i worry that they're gonna they're gonna wear it thin, and even more than that is that some of the stuff that I loved about the first two, this turns into a superhero movie. That's what I called it. I called it a bi- like Bible Avengers <laughs> to a degree. It's something that I said the first time around too, uh, and especially when they were leading up to the nun and kind of treating <laughs> treating it like Thanos. Um, I don't know. It, it's gonna start suffering from a lot of franchise itis. Uh, I worry because they're trying to force things in there that haven't either one already been established or two are trying to stretch out but it was okay i did not hate mm-hmm. it uh, but i did hate the fact that they had that man on set yeah on the day that they were reenacting the murder that he did that's psychotic to me yeah it's, it's crazy it's very weird the way that they're trying to play off that like it's based on a true story stuff like i, I get it you're that's how you sort of root this this whole franchise that's fine but it, it doesn't necessarily feel... I mean, it doesn't even feel necessary at this point. We're, we've expanded, as you mentioned, oh, the Conjuring into all these different ways. Just tell a story, right? I, I was distracted by that element of it. I thought when it was more of a battle against good and evil with an actual kind of person personifying the evil in this movie, it it worked a little bit better for me. I think sometimes the sometimes a horror movie can feel a little bit abstract because you don't have a villain, and this one kind of had a clear one, uh, one who was kind of interesting. I, I, I wouldn't say that this is, you know, a great installment for The Conjuring or whatever, but it was mildly entertaining, not one that I would have been feel... Uh, felt satisfied with had I gone out to theaters, I think. Yeah. But, you know, that's the convenience of HBO Max. Is if you're only kind of it's interested right in a movie, it's right there, and it's mildly entertaining. 
it's it's probably a step down for this whole universe, but it it's not. I didn't not enjoy my time with it. So, yeah, I guess it did what it was supposed to do. Yeah, the uh, Conjuring. Final one sorry, from- I was just gonna say, the Conjuring Go is the forty-eighth highest-grossing film franchise of all time. It's grossed more yes, money sir. in theaters than the Terminator series. Yes, sir. Wow. I mean, I, th- I think it's had more. Well, no, I don't even know. I think they have equal amount of installments now. Nine for the Conjuring, six for Terminator. So I guess maybe Terminator is better Ooh. on a mo- per movie basis. Ooh. Uh, and they also got a, a comic series out too. So I mean, they're they're expanding that to the highest degree. Uh, I guess the last one in theaters that I was able to check out, not even theatrically, but on VOD, was Gully. It was a movie you and I were talking about about these teens who just hang out in LA. I sent you the trailer. It's got our boy Kevin Harrison Jr. in this, and a lot of people were pitching this as um, just a bunch of whippersnappers doing absolutely nothing in LA, in a modernized version of Clockwork Orange because they just go quote-unquote crazy and start just causing a bunch of chaos um this had a whopping extremely low imdb rating and also not a very strong rotten tomatoes thing but i didn't hate it i can't also recommend it it is very much living in uh what would have been trauma for these three individuals that uh, are all friends in la as they're just trying to get by um and they act out to a degree, not necessarily comparing it to a movie like uh, Falling Down, where they kind of reach their breaking points and they're like, screw it, we're just going to do whatever we want. Um, I don't think it's as terrible as people were making it out to be, but it is edited in a way where you're kind of getting flashbacks, but before you can even realize that it's a flashback, it cuts back to the present. And I don't know, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Um, there's also a character uh, played by, uh, I don't know, I'm blanking on his name, our Kang, now that he's entered the universe. Uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, uh, Jonathan Majors. He plays, like, the neighborhood kind of, like, friend who's, like, driving around, and he's the one person who can connect everybody while he's trying to find a job. Uh, So it's a very stacked cast. The story seems to be all over the place, but there's something about it that... I kind of like that they were tapping into the kid's subconscious. You're not obviously going to, uh, I guess empathize with people who are just causing chaos around the town but i didn't hate it and i'm curious to know your thoughts if you end up catching it uh but that was gully one of the most hated movies <laughs> in imdb that i could see why but i didn't think it was the worst thing um yeah i feel like any, anything, anything else, that touches racial politics tends to also go really really badly on imdb uh but i i didn't see yeah, gully and it does mm-hmm. but it also covers other stuff that, that that's what i think was kept out of a lot of reviews there's a lot of like childhood trauma that was in the yeah. movie that i feel was like ignored and i was like i think that actually answers a lot more of the questions but neither here nor there i'll watch it again and yeah. uh, maybe we'll discuss a little bit more but yeah I like i said i haven't seen gully but uh, i am month. glad that kelvin Harrison jr is continuing his uh quest to become the face of teenage angst and film from loose and waves and now this He'll be 30 doing it. And I, I heard he was in Cyrano. There's a new Cyrano coming out. Yeah. And I saw him in a poster. I was like, okay, let's go. So it seems like he's, he is pivoting out of that to go to something else. He knows that, that he needs to leave before he looks like, uh, what's his name in the upcoming Dear Evan Hansen? Ben he realizes there's a certain Hansen. point where you gotta dip. <laughs> Did you hear him trying to defend that? He's like, you gotta understand the context. I was like, honey, the context is you look like one of the teachers, not like one of the students. But that's another movie that'll be coming out. Uh, do you have anything else in June, or you want to look at July? I am ready to go to July, because I don't know if we want to uh, say much about Black Widow. We did cover it briefly in our uh, Best TV of the Year video when we had Amanda here. But, it, yeah, I mean, for me, it was 
maybe fun in parts because you have some really charismatic actors there and Rachel Weisz and David Harbour and of course Florence Pugh people who I kind of just wish they were spending their time doing other stuff but whatever uh, yeah, and, gotta get your money yeah yeah. did you have any more thoughts now that we're maybe a little bit more distant from that movie um, I mean other than doubling down on saying it seems like they cut her short and people went what do you know you just don't like the movie and then uh, we wake up to some news Zach and that has, you know, just continued to build up. People thought it was going to go away, but it decided to not go away, and they're still doubling down on that. What are your thoughts, Zach, on the whole debacle with Scarlett Johansson and Disney? I mean, you know, I think it's really interesting to see all these actors trying to, uh, you know, claim their incentive or their their, their uh, bonuses, whether or not a theatrical model is accounted for. I Ultimately, I, I am on their side, even though you can think like, oh, they're getting paid all this money. The, the actor's side, not the studio's okay. side. Because uh, like, even though all you right. might think the actors are getting all this money, I mean, the, the studios are getting more of it. They have a much bigger Thank piece you, of the pie. It's crazy, yeah. right? And the other thing is that a lot of the, what, what is less publicized is that a lot of these studios look at these streaming platforms as ways around paying union negotiated contracts, uh, pay, oh, you know, working dude. in spaces that haven't been collectively bargained. It, 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 if they make less money on Black Widow, but have to pay less of it as in, as bonuses to the director or the cast or whatever, we've been saying it yes. works for their stockholders. It works for their bottom line. So I think it's, you know, partially because this is still kind of a new media, right? Like the the direct to streaming release is something we're still negotiating for these big blockbusters. So, mm-hmm. I, anything that makes the studios uh, pay up a little bit more to the people who are actually involved in the production, I think, is good for good by me. Always, yeah. we should start a podcast together because I agree one hundred percent. Here's the thing with that. Um, I don't know, I can't remember which actress it was, but one of the actresses from Orange is the New Black had, like, posted her residuals. It was, bro, that that looked worse than my McDonald's paycheck back in the day. The residuals, when it comes to streaming, are so ugly Mm -hmm. because it's not being distributed to them. It is all going to the higher-ups. And this being a movie in where she was executive producer, you know, uh, Emma Stone came in, also was going to sue, was able to use it as leverage, got her sequel very good manager for Emma Stone you know she was able to get what she needed The Rocks was the dumbest thing because when Jungle Cruise came out that was part of their press tour and you know The Rock comes in and decides to double down and be like oh I got nothing to say about this I'm good with Disney yeah they were able to renegotiate your contract Uh, when it came to Emily Blunt the funniest thing about her was I don't know if you remember one of the highest grossing movies of this year is the one that her Quiet Place uh, Part 2 her husband directed um, and yet they were still looking to sue you could google Mm -hmm. that the fact that they were not happy with the fact that it was only 45 days Mm -hmm. hey strongest 45 days from any other movie yeah suing Paramount for that one Um, but they were going to sue Paramount because they said we could have still made a little bit more so it's ironic to not see the defense for Scarlet uh, what ended up happening, though, and I understand a lot of people keep saying business is business, right? These other two had better managers, The Rock and Emma. She had a manager as well. She said they were not returning her calls. Mm-hmm. So sticking to the idea that business is business, she took it to what the next step was supposed to be. They tried getting rid of, rid of her, and, you know, if she's not going to get the money that she's owed and instead get belittled, I thought that was the craziest part because in the research for my video... The only reason we know how much all of these actors made was a Hollywood Reporter article where they said, this is how much they get paid, and that she got paid 20 mil. And Disney came out and doubled down and said, we never, ever disclose what we pay our actors. 
It's a huge deal. Zach, what was the first thing Disney did when the lawsuit came out? They went. Scarlett has already made this Scarlet, exact amount. She made 20 mil, guys. It's a pandemic, and this girl wants more. As you said, Zach, so many people, man, they were convinced immediately. Wow, why should she be getting the money? Because if she's not getting it, then it's just going all to the studio. Mm-hmm. It was the f- goofiest thing I've seen a company do to, to try to oust one of their own. They're done with her. To oust one of their own actresses um, who they were just trying to get rid of. Obviously, we said Black Widow 2 wasn't even a Black Widow movie. It was a replacement Widow movie. And the fact that they just doubled down on it, I thought was the ugliest thing. To say that someone shouldn't be asking, sure, hey, they all get overpaid. But uh, Disney, what did you do during a pandemic right, when it started? Right. I think you laid I off a whole bunch of people. I believe she made 20 mil. You laid off 20% of your people, and I think it was way more than that. So, um, hey, uh, I'm not a big fan of how the studios are able to be able to get their way, and especially, like you said, with the streaming uh, avenues. Um they're just going to be plumping more of the money to themselves and a lot of the actors and everybody else are just not getting it and whether they're all overpaid sure uh but there's still there's still a long-term effects to that and how it's going to play out for a lot of other people and how it's going to affect the way movies are made and and who's going to be in what movies so it's not over we'll, we'll see we'll see how that develops but hey we hey we said it we said when we saw this movie it looks like they're jipping her off she did a whole press run with this in the back of her mind, that's insane to me. Yeah. With this in the back of her mind and a baby on the way. So, like I said, her biggest battles weren't as Black Widow on the screen. They were off the screen. Yeah. That sucks. Also, lest we forget, we talked about many months ago, Warner Brothers headed off this kind of thing by just paying Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot for uh, the Wonder Woman direct for the uh, HBO Max release. Like the, These Wonder studios Woman. know that these actors are entitled to that kind of extra compensation. They so, know. Uh, it will be interesting to see what ultimately comes of that situation. What, what else you got? What do you have for Ugly. July? Yo, July, I'm not even starting with theater stuff. I'm starting with the stuff that was at streaming because HBO had some beautiful stuff. Besides Shiva Baby, we mentioned a lot, just putting it back out Always there. Always recommend Shiva they Baby. had no sudden move. <sighs> the, we haven't discussed this one. This is my big blind spot of the summer. I, I uh, There's a Soderbergh movie out, and I, I haven't sat down with it. I don't know what I'm doing. A Soderbergh movie shot like it was on a GoPro, things so spherical. <laughs> I was like, here's the thing. I was my watching favorite. it at home, and I was just like, yo, this may be one of those movies where I need a bigger screen. And it's not playing anywhere. This was the first week I remember talking back to it where we had no sudden move for HBO uh, and Amazon Prime's The Tomorrow War. This movie, sorry, this movie, literally the only place that it was playing on a big screen was at the Tribeca Film Festival where they didn't provide digital screeners. Whatever, continue. For no sudden move? Okay, isn't that the weirdest part of a lot of these movies? They didn't provide digital screeners for The Suicide Squad. Which would eventually be... On streaming. Day and date. Uh, it's like Candyman not having screenings in Chicago, but they had it in New York. <laughs> like, Excuse me, where's that movie That's a whole other side for the for the for how they distribute it. But yeah, I remember this week and for HBO and Amazon Prime, it was like we're so used to studios going head to head when it comes to uh, theatrical releases, right? This was the first time we had two studios going Stay at home, please. <laughs> Stay at home and watch these yeah. two. Uh, I have nothing else to say about the Prime one, but I, I really enjoyed No Sudden Move. I thought it yeah. was a pretty good movie. I like the cast, uh, as Soderbergh does many times. He surprises you with some extra cameos here and there that I thought were very pleasant. A lot of people spoiled, but um, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I, it could be a tad bit long for a lot of people, but I thought it was a good little crime thriller that also had um, a good performance by What's Her Man, who just got nominated for an Emmy for five seconds. Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you see that Kevin Hart clip? I, I did see the Kevin Hart clip. Is it real? 
because uh, I also feel it was such a good bit. I think they're both good at committing to the bit. You know, I think, I think there's a little bit of maybe like a Kirby enthusiasm situation going on there. Coming back October? It, it might be on the same night as Succession. That's going to be some, some fun TV. <laughs> HBO, stay with that. Space Jam, what'd you think? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we're going to get to this one. Um, I don't want to sound like the cranky adult, but I was so frustrated by this movie. I, I think that I, it just does so many things, so many weird choices that I I stayed, I finished this movie maybe like 1 a.m. and then I stayed up and I rewatched the original just to be sure that the original was better in many different ways. And, and among the things that I've noticed is that uh, in this new one, LeBron is like pretty much always in the scenes. Like there's not a long time that leaves LeBron, which is weird for a movie that's half an hour longer than the original. Uh, that original movie devotes long sections to like just the tunes or bringing in actually talented comedic actors like Wayne Knight and Bill Murray. Yeah, it's weird that Wayne Knight is such a big part of this like kids movie in the uh, original Space Jam, but he's an actual comedic actor unlike LeBron James. Uh, I, I, The references are so strangely chosen. There feels like there's no rhyme or reason because there is no rhyme or reason beyond the fact that Warner happens to own the intellectual property to all these different characters. It's just so slapdash and, and, and unmotivated that it frustrated me. And I, I tried to view it for, through the lens of a a child. And I, I just kind of feel like I'd be, be lost and not, in, into a lot of this like even if you are like oh it's, it features video games and stuff it's like I, I feel like a kid would know that's not how video games actually work kind of you know so uh i i i was like ready to be disappointed but this was even worse than i expected but but you are the the noted space jam fan among us yeah this has been a it's been a long-running thing for you on your channel you, you tease that you uh want to do that video eventually but there, there's a new Space Jam. I, I noticed we didn't get a Let Me Explain for it yet. I've never seen a movie. Finished it. Went about my day. Woke up the next morning. I look over at Lena and we're like, we didn't even talk about it. <laughs> no post-game wrap-up? N- nothing. You just, you, just, you just left the stadium, had nothing else to say. I did say my prayers going into it. I said, Father, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil... I- I went into it with with open eyes, open hearts, all that. There are some funny moments in it. There's a Michael Jordan bit that's pretty funny. I understand why they do all these references. There was one thing that I, I felt a lot of people were, were holding animosity towards it. A lot of people coming in going like, oh, why do you like these references? Oh, they're not that good. I mean, there is an upcoming Matrix movie. There's all these things. It's just that in making those references, they're not funny. Yeah. The old Space Jam not only had those references, but a lot of people like Looney Tunes back in action, which makes a dozen of those references. Yeah. So the difference is that they're funny. So let's let's take they one of those work. references for a quick example. Uh, the the Austin Powers reference, right? They have a shaven down Sylvester appear as Mr. Bigglesworth, but we haven't seen Sylvester. Like maybe for some of these young children, they've literally never seen the character of Sylvester before. Why is it funny Mm -hmm. if a person you've never seen before suddenly shows up all shaven like that, right? Like it's just basic punchline setup failure as a comedy. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan bit was kind of funny. As an enthusiast, 
As an enthusiast of the first one, I believe that it is a movie that stands the test yes. of time. It is one of the best sports movies uh, ever. And I feel like right now, because we're a little close to a sequel and, and everybody wants to complain online, a lot of people who complain online will say one thing about the movie again, like, oh, it's these ugly references, and then mention another movie like Free Guy that does the exact same damn references. It just so happens to be for a property that you like, uh, neither of which actually makes sense within the context of either movie. But for Space Jam, like you said, I think it is a movie where whether you're an adult, whether you're a kid, there's something to enjoy in there. The new one feels like a mixture of, uh, yes, this is definitely geared for kids. Why are you critiquing it? Well, because you're about to do a reference that, like you just said, only none of us. the kids would yeah. know. So you're literally, you're not blending the two seamlessly for something to be funny. You're, you're just picking and choosing, this is, this is one area of comedy that we're going for, and then here's the other. In the original, when Bugs Bunny sees Lola, and he, he turns into a stiff, to a kid, that's funny because, oh, look at him, he, he, the way he reacted, the way that they animate him. When you're an adult, you're like, yo, that, <laughs> yo, that, bunny, just, <laughs> just, that bunny just got sprung. There is a lot more, I don't want to really call it nuance, but... This new one had a, a script that was written by uh, Nance, the creator of uh, one of my favorite shows on HBO. Um, and they fired him in the middle of filming this movie. I know that he had this whole bit with the algae rhythm, the villain. Mm -hmm. That was something that I think could have really been pushed forward about how algorithms are running this entire you know film industry and the stuff that they need to do there. Just like what Disney did with um, Lord and Miller where they clearly got a, a little too close to what the mouse wanted and they just fired yeah. them. I believe Nance did the same thing. He probably got too close to making fun of the properties and whatnot, yeah. so they, they got rid of him. Algae Rhythm is clearly the most bringing... inspired character in the movie. And also, it doesn't help that the, the overall balance of the movie that Don Cheadle is giving by far the best performance in it, and you end up he was way too committed. Ro rooting for Don Cheadle because he's interesting to watch, even though he's the villain. Uh, but sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 100%. He, he was the one who was the most committed yeah. in here doing something, but it definitely feels like fragments of a bunch of pieces. Uh, yeah. The exact thing that the movie is critiquing is exactly what it became. Yeah. That's the most ironic part of it all, right? You know, I, I feel like the first one, it knew it was a commercial because it literally started off as a mm -hmm. commercial. It was a Super Bowl commercial that eventually ended up becoming a movie where they actually just threw everything they possibly could into it. It was a perfect zeitgeist for its moments. It worked because Jordan was in the middle of two championship runs while he was playing baseball. He left the game to play baseball. LeBron left the game to go to L.A. to make movies. Like, I think that's the difference there. Uh, how it ages for a lot of people, we'll see. I think, that again, the differences between the jokes that happened in the original to the jokes that are in this one. It's going to reach for some kids, kids who like games. But I don't even think for them that they're more of a, of a mindset where things age really quick and they become very cringy really mm -hmm. quick. Um so it's like you, 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 you kind of had a ticking time yeah. bomb there with the jokes you decided to go for. Yeah, because even even the so. game itself kind of feels like a reference to uh, NBA Jam, right? Which is which is yeah. like I'm I'm barely Massive. old enough for. I mean, I, I, that's not true. But uh, also, one more thing I noticed when watching the movies back to back is the soundtracks, man. Like. Bro, it, not even bringing it's up. Not even close. I, I believe I can fly. Like, like put taking that one and just taking it out of the movie. The soundtrack to seal? the seal, salt and pepper. Like, it's not even close. You listen to the original, yeah. which is super hard to find on a streaming service for whatever reason uh, to get all the songs together. And it's like, what's going on here? Then this new one, it, it's stacked with a bunch of really good artists. 
I don't think any of the artists met for any of the recording of this. Like, it, you could just tell that they just picked whoever was the biggest and said, go, do something. Yeah. Lil Uzi comes in, and you could tell he just came in and goes, how'd I end up in Space Jam? <laughs> this is my one recording of this song, and then I'm going to leave. Yeah. I, it was, yeah, I don't know. I got nothing else to say. That's frustration. I, Lots of frustration. Space Jam. Yeah. Already left HBO Max. <laughs> Uh, another movie that came out in July uh, that was a bit disappointing is the latest from a guy that I know we're rooting for, Ronaldo Marcus Green. Uh, I don't know if you caught up with Joe Bell, the one with Mark Wahlberg. I did Wahlberg. see Joe Bell. You know, Come on, dude. That's my man. <sighs> Monsters and Men, one of my favorite movies out of Sundance. This dude woke up at 6. He was at the blind spotting screening at midnight. Got out at three. Still woke up at six a.m. to greet us at the at the at the waiting queue line. He says, "I'm gonna make sure all of you go in there." What was this? I don't know, man. This is the trailer ruined it. Well, not only did you see the trailer, I, I didn't see the trailer, and I was still pretty much uh, out on this movie from the jump because it does kind of forecast it. It takes something that is a true life tragedy and plays it for. Like a twist, like a like an M Night Shyamalan twist. Yeah, it's a real story. Yeah, and it kind of feels a little bit like gross, and it, at best, at best, it's like lifetimey, sentimentally garbage, and at worst, it is just exploitative and gross. Uh, it, you know, it's Mark Wahlberg walking like, across country to raise awareness for bullying because his son was bullied, and like you, you already know where this is going, right? Like this is this is where stories like this go, and I. I think the way in which they they kind of take away a lot of the um, actual like trauma of it and kind of make it mm -hmm. about like his, his sweet little journey where he's like l learning to talk to people. I don't. It just didn't really ultimately sit right with me. I, I liked that in the flashbacks. He's not necessarily like a traditional neglectful parent, right? But it ultimately just felt very false to me. It felt very writerly and not very actualized, not very lived in. Um, so that when when you're actually supposed to feel for these characters, I just felt nothing. I don't know about you. There's two things. What is it with this movie, Stillwater, <laughs> the one on Apple... Palmer, Palmer? dads in baseball caps with beards, the poster... You may know who they have voted for, but they don't really want to say who they voted for type stuff. It's so cringy. Yeah. It's it's this weird thing. And every single one is dealing with a child who is LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like it's checking off boxes for a group of people who do not care to watch that movie. The and the people who are there watching this movie can, can see right through it. It's become a genre in and of itself, and like I don't think they see that because every movie comes off like they're making this really grand statement, as if mm -hmm. the previous movie didn't just come out, <laughs> you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd say the biggest thing with that is not only that it's uh, doing like a little checkbox, but in Mark Wahlberg's case, right, he is on his own, just like the father in the movie. He is on his own thing. This is not like stuff to speculation. Atone for. Google it. I mean, I don't know how many times I'm gonna say Google it in this thing, but watch his HBO show like I saw his HBO show where he's talking about building his brands and one of his big things is also that is recouping what his image is going to right. be and this is very much in that vein and where he is taking on a role to portray himself completely differently than what he's done in the past it reminds me of um, 
fatherhood with uh, Kevin Hart. Uh, I don't know if we talked about that one, where there is literally a moment in the movie. Oh, right. After everything that he said, he was always going to double down on it. He said, screw the Oscars. I'm not going to take them because I'm not going to apologize. For the homophobic jokes. He literally becomes everyone who was hating on him in the movie. Yeah. And he's like, I am not a parent who would do that. That is crazy. We are in the year 2020. And I'm like, it's cringy. You can see right through it. It's like the instead of actually going on a, an apology mm-hmm. tour, we're making rolls out yeah, of it's this, instead. And I think you could see right through it's it. It's this interesting thing that a lot of celebrities, or at least actors, seem to be doing. Or maybe this extends to other artists as well, where they, they try to Malcolm Marie. W- wash their image through their artwork. And it just... It it's unsettling and and just like I don't know I, I I don't like the the questions it's asking of the audience or the mm-hmm. the way the way in which it's trying to um, align our empathy with the person who's dealing with the the person who has to talk about the issue not the person who's dealing with the issue if that makes sense there there's a line 100%. in in Joe Bell where his son tells him. Um, those people who come to see you aren't the people you should be talking to. You should be talking to those people in the bar. And it's weird that the movie doesn't seem to get that message, even though it's literally in the script. One, yes. But uh, again, they're all fine movies, all the ones that I mentioned. It's just the way that they're making them is what makes it fall apart. Stillwater, the behind the scenes about how they practically ripped the story um, from Amanda Knox. What's her name, who's got the entire. Yeah, she's got a whole thing on and Netflix. And using right? her and name like, to liter- promote the movie in you ways. You literally, yeah. You took my story and you made yeah. that. It makes it seem like... That was ugly. an interesting Twitter jo- thread. The Palmer I'll one try to link to it in the was the exact same thing in where the director wanted to make this movie, but in order to get funding, they needed Justin Timberlake. So now right. Justin Timberlake's working on it, and he changed everything. He didn't just come in to be an actor. He was producer. He got to pick the entire cast, and it's like, you just water that down. And then the same thing with Joe Bell, where you're realizing that, you know, the guy who's in it isn't in it to really tell the story, but to represent himself in a different way. And uh, I don't know. Maybe one day we'll get a good dad in hat uh, <laughs> Midwestern movie in the cinematic universe. But uh, 2021 isn't given up. Yeah. yeah maybe we can only hope. We'll get the Hank Hill. We'll get the Hank Hill live action. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope for that one. Oh, man. Oh. What else you got for July? Did you see the Fear Street movies over on Netflix? I didn't, One, even two, though they're three. my girl Lee Janiak, who I, who have been repping since Bro, Honeymoon. she's dope. Yeah, yeah. I, again, Honeymoon way back in the day was one of the first times that I was like getting into you know spoiler yeah. explaining videos. One of the first movies and, either of uh, us covered on YouTube, I think. Literally, yeah. uh, back Both in the day, us, and uh, coming into this one, um, I found it very interesting, that whole concept where uh, I think it was Fox that she was working with, and they were able to make all the movies back-to-back-to-back, which is an incredible feat. Um, there is an aspect of it, though, that looks a lot of a lot like TV, and it was interesting to note that her husband uh, actually works on Stranger Things, mm. and thus it was a lot of the same team there. Mm. And again, this isn't really a knock. It's what you and I have been talking about forever. Originally, all three movies were supposed to come out in theaters back to back to back on a monthly basis. That is fascinating to me. I think that's so dope. It's kind of sucks that they didn't get to actually do that because that sounds like a really interesting experiment. Netflix was like, well, we got the stats that tell us that uh, people don't have that um, attention span. So once one a week, but it gets into that idea of like, I I think all the movies look great. Mm -hmm. The story, some stronger elements in, in, in each installment. But again, stranger things doesn't look ugly. But it doesn't quite look like a movie. doesn't quite look like a show. These are three movies. It's not that they don't look like movies. They kind of look like a lot of those really high expensive shows. Mm. Right? So it's like when you realize that they shot them all back to back to back, you think about it and it's like, what, three two-hour movies 
what is that when you talk about eight to ten episodes in a series? It's kind of shot in the same it's way. Like Netflix so lighting. It's interesting. Do you get what yeah. I'm saying? It's like, yeah, we're getting into this uh, this approach and where these movies are kind of being shot like shows mm-hmm. and the shows are kind of being shot like movies. Just the behind the scenes to it and how they're being made, I think, really reflects on how we're how we yeah. uh, how we're getting these new style of um, movies and shows, however you want to call them. But we're recording this. By the way, I thought it was a very sorry, interesting. Sorry. I was going to say, we're recording this uh, a couple days after the first images for the new Cowboy Bebop show, live action show, I think it is, with John Cho uh, came out. And like, while some of the aspects are cool, there is like like a flatness to some of those photos that's very reminiscent of a lot lot of Netflix shows. And yeah, yeah, there's a thing with that. I don't know. And, but to think that that originally those were going to be theatrical though. So it's showing you how... You know, it's it was already going to kind of make that jump. Um, either way, though, just talking about the movies, uh, I think the second one's probably one of the biggest ones uh, that, that stands out to most people. Uh, I do like how each one is able to stand on their own and on this town and where the or these two opposing towns kind of have this animosity towards each other. One's kind of on the slumps, while the other one has always had, like, zero crime rate, everything. And as you go back... And each one, you start to discover uh, the lineages and how things are really connected and, you know, certain curses and such. And I really liked um, a lot of the the lore within the Hmm. show. A lot of the commentary is too in your face sometimes. It's like the way that they just set it up, it's like, okay, we get the message you're trying to say. Um, But I thought the kills delivered. Uh, As as you know, this comes from R.L. Stein who did the Goosebumps. This is Goosebumps for adults, very clearly. Older teenagers. The kills, I think, deliver. So if you're looking at it from that horror perspective, I think it's there. And again, each movie, just watching it on on their own, is is stance uh, on itself. But when you put them together, I actually think it makes a stronger, more cohesive trilogy, uh, which, because it's all on Netflix, you're able to just binge back to back to back to back. So uh, I don't know how it would have played in theaters, because I can't imagine going in and seeing one, you yeah. know, and not the other. Because, right. like, if theaters didn't change, would all three still be playing at the same time during a period where Marvel would have still been releasing? Like, I, I am still very interested to see how a theatrical version of this model would work. But in terms of streaming... I think it was pretty good because they kept people coming back every single time. So yeah. uh, I'd be curious on your thoughts if you do catch it. Yeah, I, I, I do want to catch up with that one. Um, I don't know if you got around to the documentary Val, which I think is streaming on Prime Video now. It's the Val Kilmer documentary assembled from a lot of his own home footage. Uh, and, you know, Val Kilmer is not necessarily somebody who I had a huge amount of interest in, which maybe hindered some of my appreciation for this documentary but i think the more you watch it the more you just are really brought in by how intimate it is all this home footage all this just very very uh behind the scenes looks at what it was like to to go through his career and many of the ways in which misperceptions of him kind of hindered his career i, I think it's a pretty fascinating document um of an actor who, who uh, just of any actor you know like i'd love to see this kind of treatment for some of my favorite actors but even though I, i've never really considered val kilmer kilmer to be one of my favorite actors I think there's a lot ha- here that um, is still just so fascinating to see in terms of his place within the Hollywood system and how he's kind of dealing with being a later in life and, and, and not necessarily being the star that he once was, especially considering uh, recent developments. If, if you don't know, he he's had uh, throat cancer and had to have uh, surgery, so he no longer has, an, has his... Uh, normal speaking voice. I think he speaks through one of those vocoders or something. Uh, so, it, you know, just to see 
in how that's impacted his life is, is really, really interesting. Um, I, it definitely would recommend it, whether or not you are a fan of Val's. I love yeah. it. And his son narrates it as well. Yeah. I thought it was great. It's also like, because he shot all this footage, which is so crazy to think that he was always holding a camera, walking up to Kevin Bacon, you know, a young Kevin Bacon. Yeah. All Marlon these, like, Brando in that pictures. hammock. Marlon Brando, Bro, dude. Like, that footage. I honestly would want to see just like more and more of this footage. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it, um, not just as a, a as a breakdown of him, but also just um, the way that it was edited. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of little uh, moments, you know, when he's talking about his parents, and like there's this little thing in where his mom wears a certain bracelet, and they do this cut where you realize that's the bracelet he's been wearing the entire time. That's a part of his process when he wakes up in the morning and he puts it on. There's this whole element of the stuff that he wanted to create, you know, later on in life before his condition came down on him, and how the movie kind of serves as that magnum opus you know because it kind of is his direction yeah. you know he is the one who took all these shots he is the one who is still narrating it through his son um i thought it was fantastic it's available on prime i highly recommend Absolutely. people check it out because just off of the footage that he was able to shoot throughout um all of the movies that he was in i thought it was fantastic um yeah, yeah. That, that that one really hit and i think it's you know it's also an example of good documentary filmmaking there when they are presented with a problem like not being able to get Val to narrate his own words, they come up with a creative solution that kind of bridges the gap in getting his son to narrate it for him. Uh, there is another documentary that came out this summer that shows a also creative approach to not having the original person's voice. Neither of us have had to see, uh, have had the chance to see the Roadrunner documentary about Anthony Bourdain, but I did want to talk to you for a sec about uh, that whole controversy surrounding the deep faking of his voice to narrate emails uh, that takes place in that film. What did you think about that whole issue that cropped up around Roadrunner? He's lame, yeah. bro. I think it was uh, definitely blown up to be the talking piece. I mean, you know how Twitter goes. is You'd stick to the one piece in there. To me, it was like there was a discussion on whether you should be able to do that or not. But the way that he doubled down on saying... It's up to an ethics panel to decide. It's up to an ethics panel after the fact. You've already stated that you don't care. Yeah. But then you also lied about running approval for people who then came down and said, nah, buddy, you never asked. So if you feel the need to, one, shoot it and worry about it later... And then when later comes, you lie about what you actually did to get the, the I don't know, the rights to do so. It kind of shows me that you feel more guilty of what you actually did. I think it's weird. I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world, but it's definitely crossing over creepy territory. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think it sets a weird precedent, right? Like, it, it, at least there, these are words that he wrote. But still, like, it, it's lying to your audience in a way. And furthermore... Because he isn't specifying exactly which lines were deep faked, it, In the tone. it makes me it makes me question the whole documentary because how do I know what to trust anymore with this, right? Like, I think there, there's a certain element of wanting to put your trust in the filmmaker. And I think that's one of those things that steps over that line. And it is also just not a thing that, you know, separate from the world of film that I feel like is a line we want to cross with with technology in terms of how we represent people. But, you know, maybe that's a whole bigger ethical question. I do think just specifically within this context, it just feels 
wrong to me, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the ways that it, uh, in the the haphazard way it feels like it was put to, put uh, feels like it was done. I know people who've actually seen Roadrunner ha- took a bigger issue with the documentaries. Uh, non-inclusion Approach. of Asia Argento. Uh, that's a whole thing. Other thing that like you're picking and choosing what narrative you want to right, tell. Right, right. That's the biggest exactly. thing. We've always discussed this with docs. It's like the the person making it. We kind of talked about how like documentary filmmakers are getting like a writing credit because they really are composing the story in the way that they want to tell it. That's a whole other discussion to have there. To me, at the end of the day, it just comes down to uh, did you get the family's permission? Because at the end of the day. You know, from being hospitalized to, you know, after your death, the the people who do have the rights to your story and to your being uh, should be asked. And if you're lying about asking them, what's the point, dude? What's the point? Anything else for July? Oh, Summer of Soul. If we're talking about keeping Yo. rights, uh, Disney uh, picked up Summer of Soul, obviously because it was a Fox movie, yada, yada, however that works. Hulu. It's on Hulu. We highly recommend it. I think it's fantastic. It was definitely worth the cinema watch just because of the way that they were able to get all the concert footage up there and just really good um, uh, excerpts from the people who were either there or people who grew up with this. Um, the problem comes <laughs> when a lot of this footage has been out there. Yeah. And now that Disney owns the rights starts flagging it and copywriting everything here and there. And that, as you know, Zach, is very worrisome. (laughs) You take that a little bit personally, uh, the flagging of of footage. Yeah, I I didn't know this is where you're going to go with it. We are are giving a full recommendation to the documentary, obviously. We talked about that back in our Sundance video. But there is this really interesting thing where this footage, which is being presented in the documentary as kind of like reclaimed stuff. And granted, Mm -hmm. Questlove has... said in interviews that he came across this footage on YouTube. Um, But now Disney, after the fact, trying to block access to these performances. Mind you, these performances are only chopped up for use in the movie. Right? Like, if you want to actually watch the full performance, some of these are now going away. And and that that is, that's, yeah, it's frightening that, you know, to... to, lose access to these pieces of history, um, especially mm-hmm. when the documentary is trying to spotlight and showcase them. Nothing is crazy to me than all the discussions we have about physical property and not being able to privatize it. Then a lot of people turn back and go like, oh, but intellectual property should be a completely different thing. Sir, <laughs> ma'am, what? No, it's crazy to me. We'll see how that continues to go because the more things that they pick up, yeah, scary stuff like this happens and where they, they'll claim stuff... Um, that wasn't even theirs to begin with, you know? Yeah. And they end up holding the entire rights and access to it. But hey, uh, we'll see how that ends up going. Yeah, pretty soon um, you'll get an NFT of the Harlem Cultural Festival or something. Stop, bro. <laughs> Everyone's getting into the NF- NFT space. I, I was seeing that. Someone someone recently also had one. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Someone pretty big had an NFT, and I was like, damn. Oh, man, this still hasn't gone away. But I like Eric Andre's we'll NFTs. They're fan. pretty crazy. What do you do? They, they're just like the gross out humor that he does but in like digital video form how much you charge oh, i don't know but i'm sure it's way more money than i have <laughs> old did you see I, m night Shyamalan's? Old? i have let yet to see the latest m night opus but please please tell me about the Shyamalanian wonders does it stack up because <laughs> like now <laughs> here's here's the thing here's where i sit, sit with it because i do want to see this movie in that even if it is a miss, that M. Night is generally one of our more interesting filmmakers, and that even when it is a miss, it is going to be an entertaining miss. 
people are talking about you, even if they don't like yeah. you, like, think about that. Anyone can easily ignore. Do you know how many movies have come out? Like Snake Eyes came out based off a Didn't massive property. And in two weeks, it was on VOD. That's it. I don't even like that's shorter than what it was supposed mm-hmm. to be. <laughs> no one cared. Yeah. Not even the, the so people defending people Shang-Chi least... early are, are cared about that one. We'll talk about that in another video. <laughs> but Old was a movie that came out. Is a great... Uh, no, it's not. But it's M. Night going like, I can fund my own movie and I'm going to do whatever I want. It, it's there. The themes in there are a lot more interesting than the execution, than the direction that you're seeing within the movie. Uh, he did have his daughter on there as a first AD hmm. who was actually helping out, or I believe second unit, helping out with a bunch of the, um, the shots Cute. and really making it a family affair, which is probably the strongest part of the movie. Uh, I really like the actors in there. It's a pretty stacked cast. They're just directed in a way that's very monotone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very interesting premise. I, I don't... I don't think you'll be bored, but you'll be frustrated <laughs> with like where the where the movie goes. But hey, that's M Night, not on the top half of his movies. Like even like if you were to compare the visit, I'd give a visit like like, like a C plus. It's 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 lower okay. than that. But I uh, once you do check it out, I'm curious. Yeah, curious what you think sure. about his. It's the biggest performance he's had in a movie too. He plays a full out character. Like he literally plays the guy who directs them. To oh the beach. really? Like he's in the movie a lot more even, than I even thought. Even more he was than Lady in the Water. I believe I, bl- I haven't seen Lady in the Wine in a long time, but I, this is the most he's ever been in, I think. So interesting. Uh, c- curious your thoughts on it. I got uh, three indie picks to wrap up July. Uh, Ride the it. Eagle, which is a, quite a, like a cute little dramedy starring Jake Johnson and a flannel jacket. Uh, he is oh okay. He plays this guy who sort of gets sent onto a scavenger hunt of sorts by his mom, who leaves him a video will. Um, to and says you need to complete this to get the house, and it's just kind of a a very sweet movie about overcoming um, overcoming like a lapse period in your life, getting out of a depression, getting through a funk, and overcoming grief, uh, coming to terms with your past. Uh, you know, not necessarily. JK's in this, right? Sorry, this is the one JK. Yeah, in? JK also shows up in this one too. Um, okay, and you know, it's definitely like a. a lo-fi movie it's only got a couple cast uh, members in it Darcy Carden from The Good Place uh, plays a really fun role in the movie I, I just enjoyed it you know it's a low-key good watch I'm sure if this one pops up on a Netflix or something that it's going to pick up some fans so oh, I'll, I'll give that one a slight recommendation one that I'm not going to give a recommendation is Nine Days unlike a lot of our friends uh, I, I'm did you see it on well you saw it on Sunday yeah right? I saw it on Sunday and I was the one who was lukewarm on this movie while everybody came out with like five star raves from our group um and i it just it sucks like you don't who wants to be the downer on a movie that people really love oh oh no i didn't say nine days sucks i mean granted i have my issues with it i i I think it's kind of like okay for the most part it thinks it's a lot deeper than it is and it takes itself so seriously that i found the whole thing just ultimately goofy because of how seriously winston duke is playing this i'm gonna pick the souls for the universe it the, Pull the chat. It, it, it's the art direction in this movie is so forward. It, it's all about the aesthetic. Impeccable. It's watch these staticky old VHS player TVs, and I'm gonna have this analog filing cabinet, which to me like makes zero sense with this movie. That's kind of about this like ethereal dream world. Like how how does that uh, how does that jive with this idea of this like a 
ephemeral idea jive with such a like rudimentary approach. It feels weird and out of place to me. Um, I just feel like it's such a calculated movie. It's like we're we're gonna give you the sad moment, so let's give you a little bit of jokes in between, so it, the sad moment doesn't feel so sad, and then oh, we'll have a couple other jokes. I, it feels so uh, prescribed, and I just couldn't really get into this movie's rhythms. It, it's interestingly made. I wouldn't be surprised if Edson Oda, the director who is making his feature debut here, is pretty pretty uh, stunning for a feature. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on to make good movies, but I, this wasn't it for me. It didn't. It didn't have a sense of humor. It is interesting because I don't think you've seen Loki, but like the whole thing with Loki and the time people as well also does the exact same thing. Mm. You know, they're eternal. They are yeah. dealing in the present, but they all love using kind of like what this movie did, like antiquated stuff. That seems to be like the thing for filmmakers now to be like, if we're going to make something timeless, we're going to make it rooted in the 60s. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> in 50s technology. I don't know. It, it's, it just yeah, appeals that, to this like that nostalgia that people have for those things. And I don't think it makes... Uh, it makes like sense thematic sense with the film if i can connect that to something else it's interesting that you say that because it's like it's just nostalgia to a certain group yes right because to a degree uh several movies have been doing this uh to kind of just mention jungle cruise in there i don't know if you were ever ever able to catch it um that was all right uh jungle cruise is a similar thing within the movie and so does beckett i think Mm. uh and one other one we're in the middle of the movie. They'll speak German and not subtitle it. In the middle of the movie, they will speak um, Spanish because there's conquistadors in, yeah. uh, in in Jungle Cruise and not subtitle it. And we thought it was our screening thing, right? But then when the movie comes out, it also still isn't subtitled. And I go in there and I, and I hear what the, the director and um, I'm blanking on who, who plays him uh, from the new Point Break. It's not Daniel Brühl, is it? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'll switch. Yeah, I'll switch it up a little bit. Yeah. Um. But he plays the conquistador, and he pretty much explained that to them. The whole idea was supposed to be that you're, uh, being transported into another world within Jungle Cruise. So to hear these conquistadors talk in Spanish, you know, it, it's you're in a different world. You don't get it. But I was like, but that doesn't apply, if you know Spanish. <laughs> it doesn't apply if you know. Jer- so who are you really doing the fantasy? Right. For? Right. And I guess that kind of connects over here when it's like, this is the aesthetic we're going to choose, which is going to be VHS tapes. And it sounds more like you just have a thing for VHS tapes. In 20 years time, it's going to be really funny to see it on like phones. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the antiquated technology will be. Blu-rays. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very interesting perspective on how they try to do something for the audience, not realizing yeah. that it won't come. Which is just difficult to do mm-hmm. with a worldwide audience. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But uh, I, I feel like both of these decisions are, are similar in the fact that it kind of holds the movies back. Yeah, you're just not subtitling something, and then the audience isn't going to get it. Whereas the other audience is just wondering, well, why aren't you doing this? <laughs> well, why can't people hear this entire five minute discussion that they're having? Um, and in nine days, it's like, why is there a VHS tape? Yeah, like, <laughs> to, to why? appeal to people who have nostalgia for old media like me. Trick I us. Guess. All right, for sure. I <laughs> uh, was the last indie. Uh, and one that was I it? know you caught, Mandibles. Lowry's? Oh, Mandibles. I thought you were going to say David Lowry. Oh, no, we can get into that. That, that one I caught in August, okay. even though that is the tail end of July. Um, but Mandibles, man. Quentin How funny Depew, was Mandibles? Hilarious. He is such you. an expert at sort of just very gradually raising the stakes and, and getting these guys or whatever his characters are into just dumber and dumber situations. He's 
got to be one of the funniest guys working in this kind of like absurdist deadpan comedy space. Uh, and he, I think these characters are so perfectly suited to, or, or, or so unperfectly suited for the roles they're given in this movie. It just is so funny to me, man. I, I, I love uh, his comedies from deer skin to this. I'm, I'm, Anytime he's on something, I'm really, really excited now. Um, Adele X. Sharpless uh, shows up and is hilarious. It out of the park. She, she's maybe the funniest person the in the park. movie. It was unbelievable every time she spoke. I'm yelling to imitate her. I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> it was insane. Uh, for those who don't know, this yeah. is practically... Imagine Bill and Ted are on this adventure and they have to take <laughs> care of a giant fly that they found in the front of their car. That's it. Like, that's, it. that's the premise yeah. of the movie. Two idiots this take care of a gigantic fly. <laughs> oh shit. did you ever get to see the other one that he had uh deerskin or what are you talking about no 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 deerskin was also great but there was the one that was the police precinct um that isn't fully out yet but it started doing its run oh yeah yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah yeah keep, um keep an eye no, out or something i haven't like that. gotten to that one yet wrong cops not as funny what's it called wait is it wrong cops or was that a couple of years ago that was a couple of years ago. No, it's not I'm called wrong. Else. It's not called wrong cops. It's like keep an eye out or something yeah, like that. Yeah, keep an eye out. Um, not as funny as mandibles. Mandibles is just on a whole other goofy level. The frequency that that hit just had me yeah. laughing the entire time. Uh, but this one's more like a stage play, I would consider it, because it mostly takes place in the precinct, and you're kind of seeing it all play out. I think keep an eye out, like on stage, would kill yeah. for sure. But uh, I can't wait to see him blow up more and more. I think Same. that the. He's going to get bigger casts, and with those bigger casts, you're going to get a lot more people who are going to come in and yeah. realize that his humor is on another level. I, I want to see him get some nominations, because I think I think he's hilarious. Yeah. He's worked he with enough like Hollywood stars. Like I think he, uh, Bill Fickner was in some of his music videos. That makes me feel like he probably could make a translation to English at some point. And that's going to be awesome if he ever does try to pull a Yorgos or whatever that is. We'll get back to our summer movie catch-up podcast in just a minute after we thank our Academy-level Patreon patrons who are supporting the show for as little as $5 a month over on patreon.com slash intercutpod. Thanks so much to those good folks for showing their support for the Intercut Podcast. They are Cademan, D.A. Zapata, Ewan, Tushar, and of course the producer, Awkward. Make sure to head over to patreon.com slash intercutpod where you can support our podcast for as little as $1 a month. Let's get back to the movies. Should we get to the Green Knight? Talk about it, dude. I know you liked it. I really liked this one, and I'm not normally a fantasy film person, but I was really swept away by David Lowry's vision here. I think this is now my favorite David Lowry movie. Uh, first of all, it, it is a gorgeous-looking film. Every frame of this movie is just so beautifully put together uh, from the design of the, the... The location scout on this movie must have been amazing. The, the places they find... Um, I, I read a story about how the, the location scout found the chapel at the end because they went to scout one location and then took a pee break and ended up finding the other where they, where they went to go take the pee break. Um, but, I, you know, there's some lighting cues in this movie that yeah, were blowing my mind. Like, I'm not, I'm not normally noticing, like, a lighting cue like that, but it just feels so perfect and to sweep you up in, like, the, the magic realism of this world. I, I thought it was such an engaging story. I loved uh, the episodic nature of it, something that can feel um, stop and go in some movies, but this 
here worked to create the feeling of an, a really epic tale in not that much time. I really, really like this one, man. I, I'm, I, I want to see it again. Uh, I, I was very tempted to do that one night only thing, but I think I'll, I'll go for regular VOD. It feels super pretentious. Oh no! Really? I say, oh, I liked it. I actually really did like it. It's very difficult to defend this for other people. And oh, fine, sure. I, I think that the thing is, I went into it knowing that it wasn't one that A twenty four lies about the marketing, yeah. which people continue to fall for. Like, yeah, I mean, come I, on, you can go see the like. You can't keep saying like, "Oh, that's A twenty four movie." You know what they did with uh, what's the one with Joel Edgerton about? It, it, comes, it comes at night. At night. Yeah, did that? Th- this the is a, definitely another that? case for like team. Don't watch trailers, gang. You know, like. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah. You got to know what you're getting yourself into. On top of it, I saw Rooney Mara eat a pie for 12 straight minutes in his last movie. <laughs> you Ghost know what Story. to expect. So it's like, I knew what to ex- I knew what to expect with the time. The division in this, though, bro, like, there are people who love it, and then there are people who, like, hate it. They don't just hate it because it wasn't for them. They don't believe, like, they believe this is um, the most pretentious thing made out there, purposely made to piss off people who are supposed to be anti-intellectual or whatnot. And it's like... I haven't seen this much division for a movie in a bit, and it's not even that big of a movie, yeah. you know? It's just people who are, like, fully mad. I was seeing thank pieces for this, talking about how it is a, the bane of what cinema should be for audiences and such, and I was like, I mean, hey, just don't watch it. It ain't that bad. <laughs> it, it's this very interesting uh, juxtaposition between people who hate the big superhero mm-hmm. movies, and then those people defend it and go, if it's not for you, just leave it. But then those same people, when The Green Knight comes out, have a real big problem with that plank. Yo, theaters are open. There are at least nine movies playing. Yeah. Just go watch the other one. Right. I don't know the story that much. I don't know. Same. I, you said you're not that big into fairy tales. I uh, had no familiarity stuff. with it. There was a lady sitting in the front of the theater cackling. Like, obviously she knew every adaptation. She got the reference. So, like, oh, she got, bro, she got the <laughs> references. Um, it's definitely a mood piece. Again, I say this because, oh, yeah. like, I enjoyed it. I cannot find any way to to recommend it to somebody unless it's going to be their cup of tea. Unless they're willing to sit there for, what is it, the two hours, 20, uh, with a mood piece. Yeah, yeah. With just a tree taking its time, demanding a duel against a young lad. Like, literally, this is the pace of yeah, the movie. It, it looks gorgeous. It's, it's extremely he, meditative. It, it's extremely internal. I think a lot of it is about anticipation and anxiety in, in ways that I found really effective and, and ultimately rewarding, if that's what you're you're getting from the read of the movie. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be slow-paced for people, especially if you're talking about, oh, it's a, it's a fairy tale adventure with a knight going out to have a great duel like that it's that is not a good description of this movie but if you're looking for like a, a magical realist fairy tale that uh skirts between the living and the death and and is existential in its question the, the questions that it's bringing up like I, absolutely i think this is uh, a movie for you but you mentioned that not a lot of audiences are digging with it i love to check the cinema score for things like this, like Cinema Square, which famously gave like a movie like Mother and F. The, this is the rating system that just pulls movie th- moviegoers leaving the theater. Um, for example, you know, like Escape Room Tournament of Champions, nobody's idea of like high class cinema got a B. Don't Breathe Two got a B. Uh, the Forever Purge got a B minus. <laughs> Old and The Green Knight have C pluses right now. So people, yeah, people are not jiving with this movie. <laughs> Whoa, C's pretty good, dude. Yeah, yeah, better than I would expect. C's not bad. 
Yeah, that's pretty solid. Yeah. I, that's, that's a good cinema score rating. <laughs> I've always seen it as that being indicative of an audience coming in based off the trailer, yeah. and then how well did the trailer cut? It's not really saying that the movies would be. It's you know kind of like Rotten Tomatoes meet expectations. Consensus. Yeah, did it meet the expectations of what they wanted? And um, C's not that yeah, bad. Nighthouse is at a C minus. <laughs> that seems to be the worst one right now. Which Nighthouse. One? Which I know you like that movie. I uh, I did like it. Uh, again, another difficult one because it's uh, your, own in- your own interpretation type movie. Yeah. It definitely leaves it to you. So I'm very curious to talk to you about that one. That, was, that one's one that I definitely want to get into spoilers with. So. All right. Uh, do you have anything else from July or should we get to August? Nope. Let's get to August. You want to start with a specific streaming service, theaters? I don't have a whole lot here. I was just going to start with The Suicide Squad, which I think was the biggest release of uh, the month of August, or at least the most talked about one. Um, Why'd you hate it? <laughs> you know what? I, I did not hate this one. I actually I had a decent time with it. There was enough humor in there that worked for me. I think James Gunn is kind of good at this sort of uh, depraved sense of humor. Like e- There are even jokes where I was a little bit like... <laughs> like surprised to see them in a movie that I'm sure a lot of families are going to watch. It, I, I think James Gunn is weirdly better suited for the Suicide Squad than he is than he is for Guardians of the Galaxy because it really does play really? into his like body horror roots and and I like when he, I like when he gets a little bit visceral like that. I I like. Uh, those elements of it. There's certain things that I found a little bit cheesy. I, they did this recurring thing with the title cards that just kind of never worked for me. Um, certain characters were uh, not as successful as others. I'm a Polka Dot Man uh, fan myself. But, you know, I, did, I didn't love this one. I didn't hate this one. I, I thought it was a, a decent watch and, you know, entertaining time. I, w- I would not have been disappointed had I bought a ticket to see it in theaters. I saw it in theaters. The crowd loved it. It was a, it's, it's an extremely fun movie. I don't hate it. it. It's just one of those things that when something is a crowd pleaser, a lot of people don't want to take any criticisms for mm-hmm. it. But I, it is interesting to see a lot of people like, uh, this is, is not better than Galaxy, in my opinion. I think his first Galaxy is way superior Same. than this. I agree. But it, it is very interesting to see a lot of the, uh, it's the creative freedom. Right, from a company who wouldn't give the last guy the rated R one, from a company who screwed over the dude who was working on his own trilogy, like it was, it's just a company who's who's willing to jump at whatever they possibly can. Obviously, they only hired him because of the whole Disney debacle. They picked him up real mm-hmm. quick just for Disney to rehire him. Um, I worried, like what we were saying, with it with it being split between theaters and HBO Max, it underperformed. I don't know how Free Guy made the same amount of money and didn't underperform, mm-hmm. uh, but neither here nor there. It, is that Does that mean that any follow-up that he's going to want to have, are they going to use it against him? And thus, you remember, he didn't get creative freedom. It was just a company who was willing to hire somebody from Marvel, as they always do. <laughs> it's not like they didn't just do that with the old Justice League uh, either. Um, but it is a fun movie. I thought Idris yeah. Elba was fantastic. They do redo a lot of jokes bro like the mom joke was done so many times like yeah no that's the thing any anybody else does that and people would get mad it and i feel like we give a lot of leeway for for as edgy as a lot of his humor feels a lot of it is is redone jokes retreaded jokes and they're maybe going to be new to the type of audience that goes to a, a wide appeal superhero movie but like to a person who spends any time on the internet you've probably heard different versions of these jokes like a million times whether it's the like see the beach full of dicks joke like fine that's oh it's a, it's a little bit edgy but like that's that's how Twitter is and stuff like that. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, what was I going to say about this one? Um, 
that John Cena looked oh, like man. he rehearsed all of his lines in the mirror <laughs> yeah. before he it, said them. I was actually going to go back to uh, what you said about Idris Elba because I did think that this no, was weirdly like, is this the best Idris Elba movie performance? Or, or at least the best one we've had in several years? It feels like movies don't know what to do with this guy. The fact that James Gunn has had like he said that he's been wanting to work with Idris for a long time. Like he made sure to not blow that shit. Yeah. And and I think Idris was one of the best parts in the movie, um, as well as Ratcatcher. I think she ended up becoming like a Ratcatcher two, mm-hmm. Ratcatcher two, uh, a really big uh, point to the to the fact. Without getting into too much spoilers, that they changed her ending because they knew she was going to become such a mm. fan favorite. Um, I think all the characters are likable. I really like how Gunn just brings in and he's able to have an entire other Suicide Squad that's just composed of his friends who he's worked with throughout the years. Right. Because he's like, you know what? Put it on their tab. Yeah. And leave it to James Gunn to, to do all these crazy things in this movie, to submit it under budget, and then get an entire Peacemaker series. Uh, I'm gonna be, it's going to be interesting to see how that works, because, again, John Cena was not yeah. my favorite. I like the lines written for him. I don't like how he delivered them. He's in another movie that yeah. we're still embargoed from talking about. I, I, think, I thought he delivered them better there. I think by the time this video is out, Vacation Friends is, is free and clear, so I don't know if you want right. to hit that one up real quick. Much better performance from John Cena. Mm-hmm. His his lines actually flowed so much better. The script was booty. Yeah. Over here, this in Suicide, the script is so much better. It really looks... I have a whole compilation, because I am going to make an LME on it, where it literally just looks like he practiced them in the mirror the night before, mm-hmm. right before filming, and then he goes, millennials. <laughs> it did not work for me. Yeah, it, um, he's not a guy who ever feels natural. And like sometimes that works because he's such a, a big performer, but... I kind of feel like you needed that in some of that Suicide Squad stuff. I don't know if you need it as much in Vacation Friends because his character is supposed to be this larger-than-life guy. But but like you said, if you look at the the credits on the script, it's got like five screenwriters, I think, attached to it. It's a, It clearly feels like a movie that's been rewritten to hell in, in that there's like mm-hmm. no real flow to its story. Uh, the jokes are very ADD. For me, it's one of those films where... It, it it starts out about an annoying person and then you're supposed to love that annoying person by the end of the movie. And I think where a lot of those movies fail, fail is they f- don't know how to ride that line between a person being too depraved to function in society and actually kind of redeem it, have, it has some redeeming qualities. Yeah, John Cena is uh, funny in moments. I also really like Meredith Hagner, who I uh, I first noticed in Search Party, and she also has a small part in Palm Springs. I think she's really funny. I'm glad she's getting mm-hmm. a bigger shot. I was a little upset that uh, Yvonne Orji kind of had like nothing to really do. She's sort of she had one good line. She's, yeah, she did, and she does what she can with a script that's limited. But she's there to play the girlfriend. You know, she's not there to really play a character. And then yeah. Lil Rel is funny, but. He's also underwritten here, so. Yeah. They wanted this to be The Hangover, I guess. Yeah. It was supposed to be a theatrical, and now it's going to Hulu. They made, like, a really big deal and not spoiling the twist. I was like, oh, the twists weren't that much, but yeah. it's okay. It, it, it's fine. It's perfect for it to be on streaming, on streaming, but I will say that John Cena did deliver his lines way better, just sadly did not have as strong of a script. Yeah. But, okay. Small town news. Zach, <laughs> is this fake I, I don't think so. I actually haven't caught any of these episodes yet, so tell me what you think. Pretty good. Yeah. The, the latest bad. HBO series. 
latest HBO series that's uh, following this little small town uh, news. TV news channel. That's yeah, it's not necessarily in Las Vegas. It's like a little bit north. I'm forgetting Perna. I forget what the town's name Perna. is. But they're just following them and how they're trying to set up satellites to be able to reach a, a wider audience. What are they supposed to cover? You know, it's also coming up on the election, so they have all this like turmoil that's going on in the in the offices. And I personally feel like I recognize some of these actors <laughs> from other stuff. But I think like. Part of me feels like, are the boys from the bar one? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, bloody nose, empty pockets. It's a little bit of that situation. We got our they Ross Bros on their hands. They not put their names on the thing, yeah. right? So they're going off some pseudo names or whatever, and the actors are doing the exact same things over here. Part of me feels like this is kind of a fabricated documentary. Interesting. Probably is a real documentary because it is a real news station. I mean, I don't know how far they've gone to recreate it. I don't live in this place. But I think it's a very interesting look at this news agency that's just struggling to come up with not just uh, news, but how they're going to cover the news, how they're going to expand to be able to have different networks and the different channels that they're going for. Um, and just, you know, the characters, I think, are uh they're very interesting because even if you may not agree with them or you may not like them, you're seeing their perspective. And I think it's a very raw look at how they're just trying to stay afloat. Um, uh, and, and especially when you juxtapose it to how news is spread nowadays, right? right? Like no one's really going to be following this local news station, uh, especially when you look at the numbers in the United States on how local news stations continue to die. Yeah. Everything's going digital. Um, it, it's It's funny. It's cringy as can be. <laughs> but I swear to you, something in the back of my mind is like, these are the boys from Bloody Nose Empty Pockets or someone adjacent trying to do something with it. I am very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I don't think it's boring at all. Sometimes I'll play it in the background and I'll find myself stopping whatever I'm doing just to see the awkward interaction awesome. that they're having. Because it's supposed to be like The Office. Yeah, and on like Twitter, a real-life office thing. They, they, they claim that, they're, that the news and all the people there are watching the HBO special as it airs. Either they're very committed... <laughs> Or it really is a raw look oh, at man. these people. Uh, definitely check it out, Zach. I'm, I'm very curious to know your, yeah. your thoughts on this. Definitely As well as me. White Lotus that you said you have not caught. Yeah, this is like the show of the summer, and this is like the one that I decided not to follow. Come on, dude. You said you caught the other one on Hulu, though. Yeah, so there's like two resort shows, and it kind of feels like uh, White Lotus getting such a good reception sort of kneecapped the momentum for Nine Perfect Strangers from the start. Nine Perfect Strangers is a stacked cast. It's got Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, Bobby Cannavale, uh, Samara Weaving. Our boy, Melvin Gregg from American Vandal (laughs) is in this. It is pretty stacked. You don't like it. Oh, you're watching Nine Perfect Strangers as well? I saw the first episode, but I, I, I didn't really sit down with yeah. it. I was just playing. So the- it's like all these people going to this uh, retreat to kind of, you know, rejuvenate themselves. And then Nicole Kidman shows up and she's a very mysterious uh, healer. And what are they putting in the smoothies? And it, it's a really it, it it's this interesting show that kind of tries to be like, oh, there's this intense psychological confrontation that's going to happen, but also tries to have some like sort of mind-altering things happening along the way. I, I'm intrigued by it. I think a lot of the writing is very broad in a way that doesn't necessarily feel uh, lifelike or even sometimes believable, but it is um, dramatic and compelling, and I think it's elevated by these very good actors that they have uh, putting it all together. Michael Shannon good? 
Michael Shannon, you know, this is a the goofy Michael Shannon. He's not giving you the like tortured version of him. He he's kind of playing like cringy dad, but he's so good at okay. it. Um, so I'm 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 happy to spend time with him. You know, Bobby Cannavale and Melissa McCarthy continue to be like best friends in in uh, their choice of uh, projects because they just always uh-huh. work together. Even in the show, their characters are always together. Um, but yeah, it, I've I've enjoyed my time with it. I caught the first six. There's two more left that oh. they're not giving to critics because uh, I think there's some some big stuff about to happen. But it keeps you it keeps you intrigued. It's a show that maybe even to its detriment is constantly giving you these little threads it's like oh she she's a little bit more violent than we thought like oh well, who's he talking to on his cell phone and and it leaves you sort of like getting these little morsels where you learn more about the characters as you go along in a way that i've found satisfying if maybe a little bit just like pulpy you know maybe a little soapy okay but tell I, me about, tell me about how white lotus how you would why is this the superior yeah, how you would summer to show white lotus? I'm not going to say it's superior. I saw a lot of people who were really digging it. I swore that you... I felt like you recommended it to me. Um, I like Mike White. I just haven't gotten to it. Here's the thing. It's a show where a bunch of people come to this very fancy resort, The White Lotus. I believe they're going to be making it an anthology series. So uh, the next season will be different people coming to The White Lotus. They're knives outing it or whatever. In this one. Yeah. A bunch of people come in. Is that what knives out is going to be? Yeah, it's an anthology. Except for uh, Daniel Craig. The detective. Okay, so in this one you have all the people who come in, and you're following it a little bit from the people who work at the resort, but then mostly from all of the you know very rich guests who are coming in. But then a murder happens, mm. and you don't know who's the person who got murdered, and you're following the six, seven, however many episodes there is, figuring out uh, who could it be. Um, but then also just kind of getting into their lives. I think it's a very interesting show. I think there's some very funny moments, uh, like Steve Zahn and um, Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> No, not, oh, Jennifer Coolidge plays uh, a, a woman who's super rich mm. and has gone through everything except uh, uh, death, and her mom died, mm. and she doesn't know what to do with her ashes. Um, no, from Nashville, Coach, Coach's oh, wife. Oh, Connie in, Britton. She plays the very awesome. rich, not necessarily an influencer, but like the, this woman who um, has been on like all the Forbes list and everything, and it's her family that she's taken out. Uh, her daughter is played by, uh, I'm blanking on everybody's name. But um, not Sydney Sweeney or Euphoria. Yeah, Sydney Sweeney. Sweeney, okay. Yeah, and uh, she's there just trying to take a vacation, but her family kind of like being completely dysfunctional. You're supposed to like kind of hate these characters because of how privileged they are, but then at the same time, they're like also talking points to what ends up being, I think, the most overbearing thing in the show. I'm watching this and I'm like, this is Mike White just talking through these characters. Yeah, these are people who he's met. Then he comes out with this whole Vulture article, and it is very much that, bro. Mm. There is a certain aspect of the show that's just. Uh, too preachy. Uh, my, do you want to call it preachy? Do you want to call it that character of the Da Vinci Code who just whipped himself <laughs> because of the stuff that he was going through? And earlier in the year, we had Life Lessons, which has uh, one of the Duplass brothers in there, yeah, filming in his own home, playing a character that's quoting what he went through during the pandemic of, "Oh, woe is me! I have a really big rich house, so I'm going to sell it and just move into another rich house." It's it's that kind of like vicious cycle right. where it's like you're not really getting into much of it, but there is one interesting character in there that I think had a lot of people divided with the ending, and that is the character played by Alexander Daddario. I cannot wait to, to talk spoilers with you because I found a lot of people's critique of her character to be so ironic, not just because I truly feel that they would make the exact same, uh, go in the exact same path that she's supposed to be because she's a journalist, mm-hmm. um, but I saw a lot of people making up stuff of what her character does to kind of connect with her, right. but to kind of like 
dis I feel a lot of people do this on Twitter where they distance themselves from a character and be like, oh, I can't believe what that character did. Only because they would have done the exact same thing. Very curious to see what you think about um, how they play her out, but uh, I'm curious to see how you would compare it to Nine Perfect Strangers and just overall to see how they carry this yeah. anthology series because, again, very preachy at times. Yeah, yeah. very preachy, and you can tell I'm that I'm excited. It was a lot of people personal. have been hyping this one up. It's It's got a lot of buzz online, it's so fine. yeah, we're going to dive into I'll dive into that soon. Uh, I don't know how many more you got left. I think I got two more I'm going to hit here. Um, I don't know if you right. caught Neil Blomkamp's latest, Demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, no. How, how did you? <laughs> um, well, you know. Why did you? They they sent it to me, man. So I, I, I gave it a try. I, I no. was a fan of District 9, and I kind of thought, man, are we getting, like, a, the next great sci-fi filmmaker? And then, and then there was Elysium, and then there was Chappie, and then his alien movie oh. didn't happen. And it, it's kind of felt like he's, he's had a couple shots at, at, the, at the prize and not really grabbed it. So now he's going the more micro-budget route, which, you know... Uh, Just fine. It, it, M. Night kind of did that to reboot his career, too. So uh, maybe it'll work for Neil Blomkamp. Uh, you know, maybe 30 minutes in, into this movie, I actually thought, oh, it, it, could, it could work for him. There, there's some interesting elements here. It's um, a woman who is asked to talk to her mother because, through a simulation because her mother is in this coma. Um, so it's got this kind of like video gamey element. It sort of looks like PS2 style graphics, but but in a sort of rotoscoped way. I don't know. Um, and And then as you get more and more into this plot, involving like mercenary exorcists and uh like this deep talking threatening demon it just becomes more and more ridiculous and loses the thread Mm. and i just i i don't know i i was i went from being this is a little intriguing to just finding it very stupid um by the end so (sighs) it's a shame because i kind of i was hoping for a rebound here but this this is this isn't the movie that's sad, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have a lineup of just like a bunch of shows that I haven't fully completed. Oh, sure. Um, Hit me quick. But I could just give like my half thoughts on it. Netflix has this show called Brand New Cherry Flavor that I remember you reached out for. When I got the email, I thought they were selling a soda. I really <laughs> did. I thought it was an ad for something. It's a decent show about this uh, girl who's trying to make it, a young woman trying to make it into like the, the industry, the business, directed this really good, or has this really good script, and then someone steals it. And it is this raw visceral neon i don't want to really say neon demon but like in neon demon where um you're getting into the seedy underground of what the industry is really made up of it's multiple episodes um what's her name from being john malkovich Catherine keener she's great in it alita she's great in it i'm halfway through it it's like it's not perfect, mm. but I love how raw it is. There are okay. moments where you're just seeing something happen on screen. You're like, "What the hell is going on?" Um, and just the fact that it's got this young filmmaker just trying to make it on the come up. Very interesting. What if on Disney Plus, Booty Cheeks? I've not seen an episode that's good at all. <laughs> they sent us some early. I'm glad that once it came out, everybody's going, "What is the point of this?" Some interesting elements here and there. I mean, I was some intrigued the by the cast. premise in a way that I'm not usually intrigued by Marvel stuff, but yeah, like that the Marvel they people aren't really saying this real is the, good. It's a voice. It literally you just record it on your voice memos and they couldn't even get everybody to come <laughs> back. I, dude, it is just, I don't know. We'll see how the second half goes because I know they only gave us part of the episodes, but I didn't care for them and it seems like most people did not care for them either. 
you had mentioned Nine Perfect Strangers. I was busy watching Only Murders in the Building with them halfway through. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Very enjoyable series um, with Chris Martin. Uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. My bad, Chris Martin. Um, Coldplay. And, well, I don't know why I'm blinking his name. Uh, uh, Martin Short. His partner in crime. Steve Martin, Martin who, Short, which makes I think, Martin Short. think makes it hard uh, sometimes. And then... And then Selena Gomez. They are in this <laughs> building. Someone has been murdered. They're trying to figure out who it is, but they're also trying to make a podcast out of it. It's fun. It's, it's, it's a decent yeah. show. Uh, it's premiering soon. Definitely any, catch that. Any reason to hang out with Steve Martin and Martin Short seems like a good one to me. Some really good jokes where they're making fun of the medium within the medium. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Thought that was great. Mr. Corman. New Apple show starring Joseph Gordon-Levy playing a teacher. It's a show that's on Apple. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not not one of their hits. Not a, a strong case for my Apple TV Plus is the new HBO. I don't know, just follow, argument. It just follows him as a teacher trying to figure out what he's going on. I will say this: I believe Paramount, some other company, is making a a, a movie, and it is going to be covering the CEO of Uber, and I believe he's playing Tim Cook in it. And I'm like, or he's playing the Uber guy. I don't know what it is, but pretty much, Joseph, if you are working with Apple, and we know that Tim Cook has to approve everything on Apple, I don't buy any interpretation of any of the people from Apple and any other project that you do. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, Coda was also out. Yeah, yeah, we haven't talked about Coda since Sundance. Um, Neither with, did anybody else. <laughs> Twenty-five million dollars they spent on that movie to like not have ads for it. Well, it's Ted Lasso's plan. Right. So you just had the, the quota there, so so, tell, so you can go see Telasso. I don't know, man. That sucks for it. It's decent. It's fine. But I it guess do- it did not make the splash they thought it was going to. It does feel like it's part of this new Apple strategy, which is not to promote the things as they're being released, but rather to promote them after they've gotten some awards coverage. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Ted Lasso was not exactly a heavily advertised show going into its first season. And now that it is the Emmys and Golden Globes and word of mouth darling, you cannot turn around without seeing a Ted Lasso ad. Um, The same way that they, I feel like, we're pushing morning show even harder when it did get a couple of Emmy nominations. Like even though that kind of was supposed to be their flagship show. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a shame because like, as I said, I think they are starting to put some good material up there. Like we, we both had mythic quest up on our best of the TV, best TV of the year so far list. And that's another show that's not really getting heavily advertised. So, uh, I don't know. It's a shame because I do think a lot of people will really enjoy Coda, even though I've, I've seen some really interesting criticism pop up of that movie. Um, I still think that it is what part? A, the ending with the dad. It, not so much the ending of the dad, but the 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 treatment of um, the, the the lack of translators in the movie generally, like when they go to the doctor and stuff like that, and some of the ways that they treat um, the the deaf family. Um, there are people who are deaf who have had some objections to it, but I think that's something that happens when you kind of make a little bit I of like that a. Was re- in- a reductive kind of family drama, yeah. you know, it's not like a, not like a gritty movie. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it still is like a sweet movie at its heart. Just a, a good crowd pleaser, a good heart warmer. It's not something that's going to like, uh, give you, you know, this thoughtful introspection necessarily, but it is something that I enjoyed watching. And like I said, in my letterbox review, I cried two times watching it. So, Right there. Yeah. But yeah, that's a big jam-packed thing of all the stuff that we've seen. I know some other ones that we'll probably be catching up on. Yeah. Do you have anything else? I will throw out together the uh, James McAvoy, Sharon Horgan 
COVID movie that is written and uh, or it's directed by <laughs> Stephen Daldry. Um, and it's an interesting movie because it's sort of like about lockdowns and about this couple um, who are, you know, sort of at odds and arguing. And it, I, I think there are moments that feel re- really interesting. Uh, there are speeches that are incredibly well delivered. I, I like both of these performers quite a bit. So when you give them the right material, they know how to sell it, right? They know how to to give you the funny beats and then turn it and make it a little bit more searing. Um, I, you know, I think Sharon Horgan in particular is playing a character pretty similar to her one in Catastrophe. I haven't necessarily seen James McAvoy in this kind of like uh, very domestic role in a while, but it's good to see him give that kind of turn. Where the movie loses me in its theatricality. It really feels like this was a play that was converted into a movie. The way that they talk to the audience, the break that fourth wall, d- it doesn't happen in a way that feels like cinema. It feels like talking to the audience and in a in a play, in a theater uh, production, mm-hmm. uh, the way that there's only two characters and one character will be away and uh, there'll be a monologue and then that monologue gets interrupted by another character coming in. It, it just feels uh, very writerly in a way that took away from some of its authenticity. You know, I never really felt like this was actually a couple going through COVID lockdowns together. I thought it was just a a series of really well-performed acting exercises, right? And and some of them are better than others. Some scenes work really well, but ultimately it's just kind of average to me. So I I guess if you're interested in these performers, it's definitely worth your while. Or if you're looking for something that takes maybe more of of a deep look at how COVID affected people, uh, particularly in the UK. Maybe it's there, but yeah, not a strong recommendation, I would say. Okay. I think that's just about all, unless you want to wrap this up with just like very quick thoughts on Candyman, because I know we want to get into spoilers eventually. Um, But without spoilers, I think we're both thumbs up on the movie, right? I I thought it was pretty solid. I really liked her direction in it. Does it get as money as the first one did and where you know it's it's Candyman's one of those characters and where it like the it has the potential not just because of it being a real urban legend but the potential to be up there with the Michael Myers with the yeah. Freddy's Jason's but in doing so it, even in that it contradicts what the purpose of the story is supposed to be in the first one when you watch it which I, I know you said you saw recently it kind of has this yeah. um, how the character is set up and then who he decides to execute yeah, kind of yeah. turns it on itself. And then the same thing with this new one in the way that they try to flesh out the character. They ironically end up doing the exact same thing that they say creates the character. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, it feels like the start of a new trilogy. It feels like the start of a new franchise. And mm-hmm. again, Michael Myers, uh, Freddy, it's because they have so many installments that they're able to become the legends that they are. Candy has yeah. the exact same I think I think he's got the look. I think the theme, the music is fantastic. It has the ability to be something that's just as massive as these other ones. But in doing so, you are to a degree whoring out this intellectual property that is about property that is about um, not doing literally what the movie says it's supposed to do. I don't know. It's a beautifully shot movie. I think it's uh, yes. it's a muddled message, but I yeah. think audiences are gonna like it. Or at least I hope they will, because I thought it was still fun. 
yeah, thematically it is it is a little bit more messy, and ultimately that's where the movie I get I guess maybe loses me a bit towards the end. Which again, I think we I do really want to talk about that at some point. We so we'll, we'll get to it. But there is so much that I really liked about the movie, especially at first. Like like you mentioned, it is shot really well. It uh, the art direction of it um, is really striking beyond just those really cool like puppet show things they do. I think there's a lot of stuff going on with the art direction that uh, works here. Uh, the the elements of myth making that they talk about, which plays into some of the storytelling aspects of the first, it, you know, the whole idea of Candyman as lore within the universe of the movies, I think is done excellently. Yes. I love how they expand that and expand the world and do they do it in a way where I, like you, think they are preparing for more Candyman movies. Uh, so there's a lot of elements like that that I like. There's some body horror towards the end that's really cool. I thought the film was a little bit light on actual horror and on on creepy imagery. I, w- I was much more creeped out uh, by the first one. I, I, I watched them back to back, so I really felt like I had a contrast there. Um, it's, so while there's a lot of aesthetic choices that I liked about the, fir- the, the, the sequel, um, I, I do think that maybe it is not as successful in some of its horror elements. Um, and then it also just, I don't know if it really hits home what its, its, its point is. If, if really the messaging is as, is as effective as they want it to be um, with how it's presented. But that, that is a story for another podcast, I think. I think it's going to make for a really good discussion. But So that's why I say yeah, definitely. I think people I, are going to be yeah, discussing this uh, one. I think it's definitely worth the watch, though. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into that and a bunch of other spoilery stuff that we want to make bigger videos on and brackets and all that coming soon. But it's good to catch up on all the other stuff that came out in the summer because, bro, I, I feel, I was looking back at it, right? I feel 2014 was one of the best years of movies. People were talking for whatever reason about There Will Be Blood and um, No Country for Old Men. That was 2007. I started thinking. I was like, wait a minute. It's 2007. 2014. Is there a seven year? Because if we're doing the seven years being a pivotal year, it's been seven years since 2014. I know we're halfway through the year. I think we've had some solid outings, but September, Mm -hmm. October, November, and December could be hitting us with some of the craziest movies we've had in a bit. Hey, look, if, as long as they stop pushing movies, I think it's going to be a really, really exciting 2021. I mean, uh, we already lost uh, Venom and Clifford the Big Red Dog. I know, <laughs> I know you were really looking forward to Clifford uh, the Big Red Dog. But, but it's, there's still so much to look it's, forward it's to uh, with the rest of 2021. So it, a lot of stuff that's going to be worth, worth talking about. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Uh, maybe comment with the movie that you're most excited to see coming out later in 2021. I know for me right now, I'm just waiting on news for that new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Whenever whenever that happens, there's a rumor that it is going to uh, be at some of the fall festivals, but even even though most of them have announced most of their stuff, I don't know. Regardless, I, I can't wait for Soggy Bottom. So, Jam-packed, yeah, bro. let us know if there's a 2021 movie that you're excited for. But I think that's about all for this episode of the Instagram podcast. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at ZShevich. That's Z S H E V as in vacation friends, I C H. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me at LME Explain over on Twitter, over on Letterboxd, over at what are we, I was like, what What website are we on? YouTube.com or catch me every week. <laughs> what are the popular <laughs> social medias again? <laughs> on Vimeo. Uh, but you can catch me every week here on the Intercup podcast as we try to get everything set up for the fall festivals that are not going to be virtually, man. 
that's a whole other video for another time as well, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast, and then make sure you're not subscribed just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Monday, and please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. Shout out to our listeners in the UAE and Singapore for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at IntercutPod, and also head over to the Patreon, IntercutPod, to support the show. Get updates throughout the week by following us on social media from me, from Art, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, tell everyone. <laughs>